Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to episode 142. As we approach Easter, we are thinking all things Holy Week, and we're wondering about how does the Passover, which comes up this time of year, impact Easter? What does that look like for us as Christians? Some of us have Jewish friends. How can we help relate them to Jesus through the Passover? Well, I had a great conversation last year around this time with one of our good friends here at Real Life, Tuvia, who is also one of the leaders of Jews for Jesus. Tuvia is an individual who grew up Jewish and then through a crisis of faith came to faith in Jesus and now helps people understand that Jesus is the Messiah. What does that have to do with the Passover for us? Does that mean anything for Christians? I sat down with Tuvia last year and dove into that conversation, and I wanted you to hear it uh, one more time because so many of us forget about it this time of year. As always, we are sponsored by two great organizations that help churches. Stadia is a church planning organization that gets churches off the ground, and Growmentum is a great organization that helps take churches to the next level. We have information about them, and we also have ways to contact them through the show notes. So make sure that you check that out by going to the Rusty George website, which is pastorrustygeorge.com. We're so grateful that you are here, and we really think this episode is going to inform you, but also encourage you and help connect the dots between Judaism and Christianity and Jesus' Judaism and how he came not just for the Jews, but also the Gentiles and how he changed everything by doing that. And I have a feeling many of us have a friend that will probably need to hear this. So be thinking of who you want to share this with as you listen to our friend, Tuvia. All right, Tuvia, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'd love for everybody to get to know you just a little bit. So give us a little bit of, of who you are and your, your, your bio, so to speak, or your Wikipedia page. So Go for it, buddy. Thanks, Rusty. Tuvia Zaretsky. Um, yeah, that's my name. It's uh, that's not the name I was born with, but it was uh, Tuvia was my Hebrew name. Uh, my folks had changed the family name in order to protect their identity as Jews, and so we had a uh, a non-Jewish last name. And um, anyway, I've got the family name and and my Hebrew name um, now, and and it's been that way for. Uh, since I was in my 20s. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Work with Jews for Jesus, serve as a um, missionary doing outreach work to Jewish Gentile couples and intercultural ministry, um, living in Los Angeles and uh, uh, serving um, now, this is 46 years. It's been a a real blessing to do this. Yeah. Um, One wife, uh, joy of my life, that's Ellen. And she's also a Jewish believer. We've got three uh, young adult kids and, uh, one son-in-law and two grandchildren now. Mm, that's great. So did you grow up in the States or in Israel or give us kind of your uh, growing up stages? Uh, my, my mom and dad were both from immigrant families. My mom's family came from, from Hungary. Uh, she grew up in, of all places, the Holy Land, which we call the Bronx, New York. Uh, my, my, dad, uh, my dad's family came from Belarus. Um, he was, uh, they, they couldn't get in the United States, so they settled in Canada. He was, um, uh, they were the ones that changed the family name from Zaretsky to, to Carson, uh, trying to hide the Jewish identity. Um, but he came in, into the U.S. To, to help out in World War II, served as a, a doctor 
yeah, it was his name had been been changed by that point. But they they met at a USO club, married in in California here, and that's that's where I grew up. Okay. So I, my, and my growing up experience was was a typical, very very traditional American synagogue experience. Okay, so at what point did you decide to explore Christianity or begin to investigate your faith and then make it your own or become a Christian Messianic oh, was, Jew? Yeah, Christian Messianic Jew. They both work for me. It's mm-hmm. um, it's uh, boy, it was not something that I was was looking for as a kid. I had one real real passion, and that was. I just want to know God. I mean, there was two things drawing me. One was the, the Bible stories that I was reading in, in my Hebrew education. And I kept saying, how come God was talking to Moses and Abraham and David and not me? The other part was the natural revelation. I would look at the stars in the sky and I go, wow, there's a real God. But I don't know. I wonder why not. So as a kid, I went through what's called a bar mitzvah at the age of 13. And I read from the, the scroll of Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah, um, here's God calling out and says, he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Uh, and Isaiah's response was, Hineni, send me, I want to go. Well, that was the theme of my bar mitzvah. Uh, but afterwards, I went back into the synagogue sanctuary and I said, God, I just said, Hineni, here am I, but where are you? I, I don't know you. It was at that point that I think there was a, this hunger from the very beginning for a relationship with God. Everything about, about Christianity was totally foreign. It was just not part of my world. Um, our world was us Jews. We didn't call p- people who weren't Jewish necessarily Gentiles. We just said they were Christians, which got <laughs> really confusing. You know, So I, I didn't want to do anything with, with Jesus. I didn't want anything to do with Christianity, but I really wanted a relationship with God. And uh, about 10 years later, I, was, um, I graduated from, the univers- from a university here in Southern California. I was working with a drug clinic. And I was asking serious questions of God. I mean, life had become very, very painful. My best friend had died when I was 16. I never really resolved that grief of losing a friend, my best friend. The Vietnam War was happening. The country was, was really divided. Um, my dad, who'd been a, a military veteran, was really upset that I, I had, was criticizing the way the war in Vietnam was being prosecuted. And, and I had friends coming back saying, you know, don't go, man. It's, they don't want us there. It's just all kinds of a mess and chaos. And I'd gotten into drugs and it was working for a drug abuse clinic in the, in the community. I just, I just didn't have any answers. I didn't know how to stop my own hurt and I didn't know how to resolve any of that. And so I was looking for answers. And I went to talk to a woman who was on the general board of our drug clinic. She was a Christian. She tried to tell me about her faith and tried to tell me about Jesus. And I would blow her off. I would just embarrass her and make, make it so that she didn't want to talk to me about anything spiritual. But um, yeah, there was a, a point where uh, I went over and I talk, told her, look, I'm, I'm ready to just throw in the towel. I don't know what else to do here. And she said, look, if you're at looking for answers, why don't you ask God? And I, you know, I tried to blow her off. I said, I've been talking to God since I was 13 years old. I went through all that in my bar mitzvah. And she said, well, Ask, you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And I'd never heard that before. I had no idea who said that. It sounded like something God would say. I'd never opened the New Testament. So I had no idea that those are the words of Jesus in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. I literally went out that night, and I prayed to the God of Abraham. I called him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <laughs> I want to get the right God talking to me. Right. I said, I'm asking, seeking, and knocking. Who are you, and how am I doing? And I was really pleading with him. I said, my, my heart is broken. I don't know where else to go. 
do I qualify in your kingdom? And who are you anyway? It was at that point that the, the relationship started to unpack for me as he began to answer that prayer, showed me my brokenness, didn't quite understand it was sin until I, I started hearing um, some things that some Christians had written when I, I got curious enough to read what they'd said, read the Gospel of John, was utterly shocked. I thought, you know, Jesus, I thought I had the wrong, wrong Bible. I mean, I thought Jesus was, I knew he was Jewish, but I had no idea that, that he went to synagogue, that he spoke to Jewish people in the temple, that he um, got into discourse with the Jewish leadership. I had no idea that he, that he said that the, he talked about the Torah. And when he talked about Torah, I understood what he was saying, but it was at a level of law keeping that I, I knew I could never keep. And it was at that point that I understood that he'd come to take that, that issue and resolve it by his death on the cross. It was really, really hard. I went to a Christmas pageant, never been in a church before, never heard the gospel, never been through the whole story. I mean, I've been reading some things, but it came together that night. And, and it was right before, it was like December 7. So it was right early, you know, just before Christmas and Hanukkah. But it, I heard the words of, of Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And my first thought was, great. I've been looking for life. I've been looking for God. I've been looking for the way to know him. Everybody knows Jesus didn't come for the Jews. Remember the woman that was a general, on the general board of the drug clinic? said, go ask God to show you the answer. She was sitting in front of me inside in a, in a, a chapel of 1,200 people. I was in the back row. Nobody could see me, right? <laughs> she heard my voice, turned around and said, what is wrong with you? And I said, everybody knows Jesus didn't come for the Jews. And she said, you know, when he made that statement, he was talking to a crowd of Jewish people just like you. And she turned around and I thought, I'm an idiot. I went out that night and I realized that this I had to grapple with this message and it was true. And... Uh, I was really afraid because I knew it was going to mean everything. It means my parents would see me as a betrayer. They would see me as a, um, a destroyer. This was the truth. I came to faith that night, told God, I don't know how to do this. You got to meet me tomorrow. And uh, there have been a lot of tomorrows since that time. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And we'll, we'll talk more about that and about how you uh, connect with people that are um, – living that tension of maybe they were raised Jewish and they are looking for something more and aren't finding it. Maybe they are living with somebody who is Jewish and they're trying to reconcile their Christian faith with Jewish heritage. So we'll talk more about that in a podcast, which I'll uh, direct everybody to on my website, pastorrustygeorge.com, and they can, they can get that as soon as they're done watching this. But I, I wanted us to talk specifically about Passover and it's Wednesday. Passover has begun today. Is that right? Yes. So, <laughs> Sundown. So with that in mind, let's, let's go right to the upper room, which you and I have, have been to together. I remember mm -hmm. that moment. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is there with his disciples, probably the third Passover meal they've shared together. Mm -hmm. This one's a little different. So would you walk us through just some of the elements that are out there? And what does Jesus do that's so significant that most of us Gentiles, really, we miss because we think it's just the Da Vinci picture, right? Yeah. Walk us through that. Um, well, the frame of it all has to start with the fact that he was on his way to Jerusalem to die. And the reason he was going to Jerusalem to die is at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, 
If you disobey me, dying you shall surely die. Death is a result of disobedience and sin. He said he's going to send the seed of a woman to accomplish reconciliation in Genesis 3.15. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he promises through Abraham would come this child, the seed of the woman, who would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. So God comes in, in the person of Jesus to accomplish that through the Jewish people. Could have been anybody. You know, you could be talking to somebody who was a Hittite if it had been different. Um, but he set aside Abraham and his, his followers, not because they were big or powerful or, or perfect, but because God needed a people to accomplish his redemption plan. And so Jewish history, the history of Israel in the Bible is part of something that, that sets this frame for us. So Israel was set, was set free from slavery in the land of Egypt 3,400 years ago, 30, 30, closer to 3,500 years ago. And at that point, he, he sets aside a, a memorial night. He says, look, on the night that the worst plague is coming upon Egypt, God says, I'm going to set you free, and it's going to happen by the blood of a lamb. That's why we keep a, a lamb bone on our table, to remember the blood of a lamb during Passover. And every year, we have a lamb bone at the table now. Some people eat lamb, but a lot of us just keep the, the lamb bone, to remember the blood of that lamb. So Jesus comes to the city of Jerusalem, knowing that he's been sent to be the perfect lamb of God. And John calls him the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when he introduces him into the, the populace of Israel. So he comes to, to Jerusalem um, on Passover. He sits with his, his disciples to keep this festival to remember our redemption. And then he tells them, I've come here to die. This is the whole reason. And in the middle of Passover, he takes two of the most crucial elements, the cup of redemption and the unleavened bread that's been wrapped in a linen cloth and buried for the night, brings them back out. And he, as he hands them these items, we read in, in Luke 22, verses 19 and 20, he says of the bread, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the perfect parallel Passover is the remembrance of God's redemptive might to redeem Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Jesus takes that Passover, gives it the fullness of meaning, and says it's his body by which God is going to redeem all of us. If we'll trust and believe in him, it's going to be through his blood and his body at the cross of, of Calvary. Raises the, the third cup of the night called the cup of redemption. Luke says it was a cup after supper. That's the cup of redemption. And he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So that's, Jesus takes the elements of Passover, puts the parallel between the Passover back in Egypt, the night of remembrance, and puts, gives to us the body of Christ, this brand new festival to remember our redemption for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Take us into that room there with those guys. I mean, a lot of them were Jewish. They've been raised with this meal. How weird would have all that been for Jesus to say, to pull out the bread that had been kind of buried, so to speak, and say, uh, this is to remember me and make it all about him. Would that have just been a crazy moment for those guys? Oh, yeah. Everything about it was crazy. I mean, he walks in. The, the first thing that you do is you, you wash your hands. So he, he sets aside his robe and bows down and washes their feet. Now, they, they'd heard he was the Messiah. Remember, just a week or two before, they'd been at the transfiguration. 
they heard God say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. You look back at those passages in, in um, Matthew 17 and, and the, the parallel passages about the transfiguration. The disciples were grieving. They couldn't believe that he was talking about going to Jerusalem to die. He's the Messiah. So I mean, right from the get-go, when he bows down to wash their feet, they're thinking, this can't be. He's, he's the Mashiach. He's the Messiah. Why is he washing our feet? You know, so right from the very beginning. And all those, I think all the way through those, it was a didactic, a teaching moment, a very important teachable moment for him to, to lay these things before them. Obviously, they left a huge impact on him, on all of them, because they all wrote it in their Gospels. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. So we've been talking through this, uh, this week-long series as we march through the Passion Week about how Jesus doesn't just walk us to a grave, but through a grave. And we see in one week of Jesus' life how to live our one life altogether. What do you take out of this, this Passover feast, this upper room moment with these guys that you look at Jesus and you, you just think, wow, that's the way to live. What does he do here that's so significant for all of us? Well, I mean, first of all, to give us some hope and help at this time, this is a remembrance that this is the precursor to the resurrection. So he came to celebrate this feast. The worst part of it was to know that he was going to have to go through the, the pain, the horror of the degradation, humiliation, the punishment on his body, and then to have the, the Heavenly Father turn his face from him and cast upon him the judgment for all of our sin. Passover for me and, and the, the celebration of the resurrection is so powerful because it, it, it's a remembrance that no matter who I've been, no matter what I've done, I talked about you know, some of the, the foolishness of my, my life before I was a believer, all of that now can be forgiven. I have to start by forgiving myself because God forgave me and to know the depth of his, the power of his love. And so Passover is a remembering our redemption. And it's not just a, it's not a, just a, a concept and an idea. It's the fact that God was giving us something to remember what he actually did. And that brings us then to the, the cross, his death, his burial. And the, I think the, the biggest mind blower for the disciples, of course, was after they'd seen all this, after they just, everything was going totally outside of the script that they, they figured was going to happen when the Messiah came, to now see him resurrected, nail-pierced hands, sitting and eating fish with them, eating some bread, and they're hearing the words, do this in remembrance of me as often as you do this. Boy, when we get to heaven, I'd like to see the video of those moments, <laughs> right? You know, just sitting there on the shore eating eating uh, breakfast with him that one day, boy, those guys must have just had their jaws dropped the whole time. Uh, I, think, so. I think Peter's got some stories to tell all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does too. I think the other guys have some stories to tell about Peter. Sure. <laughs> hey, we interrupt this podcast for two very special announcements. One is we have a great, great resource for all church leaders to use on Easter. Every Easter for the last several years, I've had this feeling of, boy, all these new people have given their lives to Christ, been baptized into Him. What resource could we give them? Well, we put one together called A Simple Path to Following Jesus. It's available on Amazon, or you can also get it through Pastor 
RustyGeorge.com. It's a very small, easy-read book that we're giving away digitally and physically at both of our styles of locations. You could do that easily as well. You can check that out, PastorRustyGeorge.com, or on Amazon, A Simple Path to Following Jesus. Now, I also got something free for you. We are taking a 28-day journey towards Easter by walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And I've written a free devotional guide for you, a free PDF, and you can just get that at PastorRustyGeorge.com. Do this with family. Do this with friends. Sit down with your kids. You read one devotion a day for 28 days. You make it through the Gospel of Matthew. It's going to be so much fun, and we can talk about it by DMing me at RustyLGeorge on Instagram. Okay. Back to our show. Okay, Tuvia, we are back. And you gave us some great backstory to your own life, growing up Jewish, having a conversion experience. Uh, And now you do a lot of ministry for people that are Jewish and might be married to somebody who, um, well, let let me say it this way. They've become Messianic Jews, believing in the Messiah, being Jesus, and then they are married to somebody who is Jewish and has not made that jump. Um, I think what I want to ask, and maybe you can just guide us through this, is what? let's start with this group of people. Those that were raised Jewish, and they've been hearing about Jesus, they've been learning about Jesus, and they think that they've come to a conclusion that he is the Messiah, but they just feel like they're betraying their family if they do that. Would you speak to that group for just a moment? Give us some yeah. of your thinking. Yeah. You know, the process of that conversation um, has to be kept in, in the realm of keeping it safe. I had actually had a guy that, that came to faith tell me that. You know, I asked him, what was it that made it easier for you to think about this stuff? And he said, you just kept it safe. I said, how did I do that? And he said, you didn't push me. You didn't try and manipulate me. You asked me questions about what I believed and then kind of teased it out. And occasionally you compared it with what your view was or what your experience was. And, and in doing that, it kept that conversation safe so they didn't feel like they were being judged. Biggest issue, I think, um, we, have a, we have our own culture. Um, the Christian church has its, its own culture from a lot of different, I mean, the, the, the culture of a real life church is gonna be really different than, than a, um, one of the mainline churches down in the, the San Fernando Valley, or, you know, or some of the more traditional churches. Everybody's got their own culture. The, the Jewish community has a, a core value that precludes it from really hearing the gospel easily. That core value is survival. We've always been told, if you believe in Jesus, you can't be Jewish anymore. My Hebrew school teacher, Mr. Benjamini, said, you know, Jesus was a prophet and a rabbi, and he was a chum, a wise man, and he was Jewish till he converted to Christianity, then he wasn't Jewish anymore. Real story. So we're up against you're up against a cultural difference that might not be easily seen in, in a Jewish person who looks like us, looks like everybody else, talks English like the rest of us. But there's this hidden culture. There's a whole world that I lived that the people that I know in, in our, my home church here, uh, West LA, they wouldn't relate to. And that's fine. We all come from different cultures. This is a world of very diverse cultures these days. So I say, take the time to listen to the person, ask questions, draw them out really hear them, care for them, and then look for those opportunities that God gives to gently present truth in a, in a different way. We're, we're dealing with a great level of threat in the Jewish community. We can't just walk in and say, you need to believe in Jesus for this reason, this reason, this reason. 
I'd love to do that. I wish it was that simple. My experience is that it is a relational, uh, building a relationship and being truthful uh, and, and being sensitive to the opportunity when, when they might have a question. Those questions are golden. Let's say I'm Jewish and I'm hesitant. Give me the two or three pieces of evidence that really helped you make up your own mind that you would share with me. I like to start with, with a question, um, what do you want God to do for you? And oftentimes they'll say, well, nothing. You know, it's kind of like Hezekiah being really pious. No, he doesn't have to do anything for me. Okay, well, you got that, that answered already. How could I pray for you? What would you, what would, if heart of hearts, where would you want God to, to speak into your life or, or, or be there for you? What really matters to you? And, and that often opens up the beginning of a conversation about who God is. Starting with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and why why he would have created the Jewish people. Another hard question is why would God allow the horrors of the Holocaust if he's such a good and gracious God? That, that's a question that comes, another one that comes up often. You know, first is, is just, do you believe in God? If you, there is a God, would you be willing to discover him? Would you let him speak into your life? And that's usually the, one of the first stepping, it's often one of the first stepping stones. Would you allow God to introduce himself to you in a way that he wants to be known. Then the second would be to answer some of those apologetic issues of, of what kind of God is he that he would have allowed the Holocaust to happen? There, I, I like to think, to ask people, do you have any idea, is this basically a good world or is this a, a broken, fallen world? I think people deep down understand that the brokenness of, of this universe, and then we can start talking about who, who on earth could fix it. I mean, those are short answers to some really, really profound questions that you're asking. Let's, let's talk about the Holocaust for just a little bit, because even those of us that weren't impacted in any way by that, we, we don't have Jewish heritage, we look at that and we say, where, where was God during all that with his people? Uh, how did he allow such a thing? To which before that, they could have pointed to the, uh, the years of slavery in which the Jews spent uh, to Egypt. So you look at all these atrocities to the Jewish people throughout the centuries. What, what do you say to that? Well, I'll pick up on that same thread that I started with, that God, God is love. And he's a loving God at the heart of it all. The greatest gift, and this is, this is another one of those, those keys when you're asking, if, you know, if I'm talking to somebody who's not a believer. One of the most profound things to think about is, in his loving kindness, the greatest gift that he gave to humanity is freedom. He gave us the ability and, and the responsibility to choose to respond to his love, which is his heart's desire, or to reject him. And if we reject him, we're dying. That was his warning. Dying, you will really die. So, and, and he's not going to force anybody to love him. That's how loving he is. So when he created this world, and I, listen, I'm not a philosopher, so I haven't got this all figured out. But I have to deal with, I, you know, like everybody else, I have to deal with pain and, and suffering. And uh, you know in ministry, you've got to talk to people who are in some really, really tough places in life, and, and we don't give them glib and simple answers. But in this one, I expect this to be a broken world. I expect this to be a fallen world. And it hurts my heart. But I know that it's, it's the only way to have a free loving relationship with a God who desperately loves me so much that he would send his son to fix that. So 
when you read through the Old Testament now, which book shows you more of Jesus than the others? Isaiah? Mm-hmm. That one's huge, yeah. There's a number of places that might be a little different from your vantage point, just that, that every time someone called on the people to respond to God, there was this moment of reconciliation, reunification. One of the most poignant moments in my Old Testament reading was, was um, the story of Josiah, this young boy king who comes, comes to Israel and he sees the nation blind, the, the southern kingdom blind in, in, in spiritual poverty. And he, he calls the people back to love God. And there's this, there's this wonderful revival. And I understand that my own heart from having been revived from a lack of a relationship to a loving relationship with God. So yeah, but Isaiah's words, I mean, his words are so powerful. Um, Isaiah 9, 9, 6, I just go nuts every time I read it. Unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, uh, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Peloyoetz El Gibor Abiyad Sar Shalom. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Drives the rabbis nuts. Pretty powerful. They don't know what to do with that one. Huh? Yeah. I, got, I received a Bible, uh, an Old Testament Bible, when I, I had my bar mitzvah, and that verse in, in the Jewish Publication Society Bible wasn't translated because it gave so much problem. It was in English, and, and when it came to, and you shall call his name, Pelio Etz El Gibor Aviad Sars. That's how I, look, I memorized it. <laughs> wow. Then I looked it up. I went, whoa, how can that be? Very difficult to reconcile all those. When, when I read the Bible, specifically the New Testament, I read it from an American perspective, you know, Christian upbringing. You read it knowing Jewish culture. What do I miss that you would just instinctively know and see when reading the, the Gospels or even the New Testament in general? I think, um, well, first of all, I think you do a really awesome job of bringing the Bible to people. So I don't, don't oh, count well, it as well. I you. see something more that you do. You, you see stuff. You've taught me a lot of really great things. Um, I think the continuity is so powerful. And I'm, start, I'm saying starting from the very, very beginning. You know, the, so much of the Bible is, is about the history and the heritage of the Jewish people. Okay, the Jewish people were created to accomplish what God had promised all the way back in, in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. That's why I mentioned earlier the, um, the promise in Genesis 3.15. Mm-hmm. There's a, a child that's supposed to come. Well, don't lose sight of that, gang. I mean, that's, that's all the way through this. The promised plan of God is going to be powerful. And then you come to, to 12.3, and, and now you, you hear, okay, here's the, here's the family, the tribe, the nation that God is going to do this through. And the rest of it is, is, okay, these people are the delivery system of something really special, and he's coming. You know, and we hear about it in the New Testament, but it's, he's been coming all along, and, and the little glimpses are popping up all the way through there. So I think it's seeing the continuity of what God God's plan and intention has been from the very beginning. I love to talk about why did God create the Jews? I mean, there's a lot of people that even today think, yeah, why are they still around? I mean, Jesus came, he's done with the Jews. We'll go on and, and we've got the, we've, all he cares about now is the church. The Jewish people are still around because they are, they continue to be a reminder to everybody that God is real. It makes all those stories come to life when there's this realization that, okay, these people are connected to that. When, I think one of the struggles that, that uh, a lot of people have is they look at, at Jewish people and they go, well, they're not, you know, 72% of them are secular in Israel and here in the States. 
So they're not such a holy people anymore. You know what? God uses, he uses whatever he chooses to use. And, and it's always about a remnant. I'm really grateful to be part of a remnant. It's the body of Christ. I'm grateful to be part of a remnant of the people who were privileged in the midst of our nation to see that, that truth. There's a guy I love that's in um, Luke chapter two. His, his name is Simeon. He's, I think of him as, as an Old Testament guy who's in the New Testament. And um, Mary and Joseph, Miriam and, and, uh, and Yosef bring, bring Jesus into the temple to perform the Pidyan Aben. It's um, the redemption of the firstborn. He's been circumcised. He's been, he comes in. And this older guy comes in and holds his arms out. And it says, uh, Luke says, he takes the baby to his chest and says, Now, Lord, let your bondservant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your Yeshua, your salvation, whom you have prepared in the eyes of all the people, and to your glory, Israel. There's a guy that understood the whole thing. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's for me, that's the, the, uh, the key that really helps me uh, appreciate the whole Bible. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, before we started recording, you were telling me about what's going on in Tel Aviv right now. Uh, you have offices over there for your ministry. Uh, in the midst of COVID-19 and the world pandemic, would you share with our listeners and viewers what's going on over there and just the cool things that God is doing? Yeah, we, we launched a, a branch in Tel Aviv in 2000. Uh, and at first, the government was really, you know, we registered. I, I entered papers with the government of Israel. We registered as what's called an Amotah nonprofit corporation. Our name is Jews for Jesus, Yehudim Laman Yeshua. They went through the whole thing of, you know, they have to do this. They had to treat us just like everybody else. So they registered us in, and the group, the office has grown. It's, the work in Tel Aviv is now our largest branch in the entire world. It's, it's just huge. We're opening up um, some satellite branches. I won't go into that here, but... Um, so 2018, we, we did some very creative kind of things up in the city of Jerusalem. One of them was um, we formed a team to reach out to drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes, and homeless people. And we were, we were working on the theme, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we partnered with some municipal agencies in Jerusalem. And they loved the idea that we were saying, we're, we're going to love people. We're going to love on people. And um, we, we did all kinds of service projects. They all knew who, the, who we were. We had lots of opportunities to talk with people. They would say, who are you? How can you be a Yehudi Mishachi, a Messianic Jew? You believe in Yeshua? You know? So anyway, it's, it was... Um, it was kind of a, brown, a groundbreaker. So that was 2018. That team has continued to work in, in Israel, and especially down in Tel Aviv, ministering to elderly folks and especially to foreign workers, of which there are lots of them because uh, they, they needed a, a workforce. So our team has been going out and handing out, uh, pre- providing food for some of the, the foreign workers who are not far from our office in downtown Tel Aviv. Well, the municipal government of, of Tel Aviv came to our office and said, you know what, We're, everything is shut down, the restaurants are closed, the food pantries are closed. We're wondering if you would be willing to come out and feed people and then bring food to some of the elderly people who are shut in who can't get out and get meals brought to them. We said, well, sure, we're glad to do that. And so I'm so proud of my colleagues there. They're, I mean, they're all, they're all millennials and they're just out there going, going out on the streets every day now with a letter from the, the um, municipality of Tel Aviv saying to the police, don't stop these people. It's okay that they're out, not sheltered in place. They're doing something that we need them to do. And this, like, I can hardly believe that, that this has happened. And That's I, amazing. 
yeah. just amazing. Mm-hmm. We were talking about how in the first century, that's how the church really took off with the plagues and the people being drug out of the city, left for dead. Uh, those with leprosy, you know, put off in colonies and the church would go in, rescue kids and rescue people and tend to those who were sick. And, and they became known as the people that loved others. And that's exactly what continues to happen. So Tuvia, thank you for your ministry and what you do. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they contact you or maybe see more of what you guys are doing? Um, my email address is my name, Tuvia, T-U-V-Y-A dot Zaretsky. Z-A-R-E-T-S-K-Y at JewsForJesus.org. Okay. Thank you so much, brother. Love you, my man. Talk to you soon. Shalom. Happy Passover. Well, thanks so much for listening. And if you're like me, you've probably got a few friends who are Jewish that might really be encouraged by this podcast. So make sure that you share that with them and kind of help them connect the dots with Christianity. As always, our goal is not to try to convert people or try to twist their arms or force them into something, but provide some information and let the Spirit of God do the work. So share that with them. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and be ready for next month as we come back with brand new content as we move forward with our conversations about mental health and how do we make sure that we are healthy in 2021. Thanks for being here and we'll talk to you next time. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.